What's up, everyone? This is your host, Krista Brio, with Seasoned Live Salted's podcast. And I'm so excited to have you guys here today because we've got something special in store for you. We decided that there was just too much amazing content from our Seattle conference, and we just wanted to share just one of the sessions with you right now. And today's talk is going to be from Amritha Jeeva, who brought a straight up word about evangelism and knowing your story and sharing it, preaching out of the story of the woman at the well and friends. It is incredible. She brings in perspective to that story that I have not yet heard that was so compelling. She calls us to action and she just speaks with truth that she has lived out in her own life and wants to call all of us live out in our own lives as well. It is literally so good. So without further ado, please just sit back and enjoy and listen to what Amritha has to share because it is just incredible. So with that, here's Amritha. Well, hello, everybody. I'm so thankful to be here with you today. Can we just take a second? Can we give it up for all of our speakers, for the worship team? I mean, our people in the back, this is incredible. I walked in this morning, and this place was full of the presence of God. I texted my husband, and I'm like, babe, the presence of God is at the U District. Like, God is here. You know, and he's like, what in the world? So I'm so, so excited. I'm going to bring it back to Bellevue tomorrow at church, okay? So anyway, I'm so excited to be here with you today. My name is Amritha Jeeva. And uh, man, God is doing some beautiful things in your life and in your heart. And I pray that I can just continue that on today. And I want to tell you just really quick about myself so you know who you're looking at and listening to right now. Um, Five years ago, my husband and I felt the call of God to come church plant in Seattle, Washington. And we're over, we're across the bridge in Bellevue. And it happened in a dream. We are weird. God woke my husband up in the middle of the night and spoke the word Bellevue. We had never heard it before in our lives. We're Midwest people. I'm from Kansas. He's from Minnesota. We are the smiley brown Midwest people up in the Pacific Northwest, you know, and and so here we are, and God calls us here, and um, oh, you're seeing a picture of my kids. There's my husband and my kids. I have a a son. He's almost six years old, and a daughter. She's almost uh, three years old. Her name is Nala, like Nala in the Lion King. And um, so we came here because God gave us. So my husband wakes up in the middle of the night and he says, God spoke to me the word Bellevue. And I said, well, where's that? And we did something really, really spiritual. We Googled it. (laughs) And I Googled it. and, And it was out here in the Pacific Northwest. And truly, 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 we were shocked. We didn't know anybody out here, and uh, but you know when you when you begin to allow the call of God to deeply touch you, you can't do anything but just say whatever you want, your will be done, Lord, not mine. And so we came out here, and God's been doing just a beautiful work in our church and in our lives. We are celebrating ten years of marriage this summer, which I'm pretty pumped about. To be 40 years old, and I'm actually really psyched about being 40. Uh, so yeah, I'm a cut like double some of you, okay? And so anyway, I'm I'm really looking forward to what God wants to do here in this moment. I think He wants to do something here in this moment that um, is is going to shift us a little bit. Yeah. And I believe that. God would give you ears to hear maybe something that he has for you. And you know that you are at a legit conference when the director of the organization and the leadership says, you know what, we can't just sit here today and not forget to take this message and this moment outside of the four walls of this church. 
Because we are the church, as somebody said earlier today. We are not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors as well. We are the body of Christ. Each of you has a gift to add to the body. And there are people outside of this room and in this room who need what God is doing inside of you. You know, we can sit. It is beautiful to sit at the feet of Jesus. But you know that the scripture says, beautiful are the feet of those who go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. My husband and I, we have this motto, and it's just, it's just this. It's in the scriptures. Freely I receive and freely I give. Everything that I've received, God, just, I just want to give because you have given to us so beautifully and so powerfully. And that's what we want to talk about today is about sharing the gospel. It's about evangelism. Evangelism is just a fancy word that means spread the good news. Declare the good news. And I believe that all of us, sometimes we just leave that up to the evangelists or the pastors or whatever. But do you know that all of you are evangelists? If you didn't know that today, you know that now because God has put inside of you something that the world needs. And if you remember Jesus, he's about to ascend into heaven and he gives the disciples one last really important commandment. He says, this is going to be foundational in your ministry. I want you to listen to this. Matthew 28, 18, we all know it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I want to ask you a question today. I want you to, you don't have to raise your hand. I want you to just answer it honestly in your heart. It's a simple question. The question is, are you afraid to share the gospel? Are you scared to tell people about Jesus? There are many reasons why we are. And I remember I grew up in this church that was real, real charismatic, okay? I mean, we had people, we had flag dancers up in the front. Anybody come from a flag dancing church? You know, we had flag, we had people speaking in tongues, we had prophecies, people falling down in the power of God. I mean, it was crazy at my church. My sister and I, we had this heart to bring our friends to church. So we put our friends, our, our friends that didn't know Jesus in the minivan, we drove to church and I would literally pray. I would be like, God, Oh, Lord, yes, let your Holy Spirit touch my friends. But, oh, God, let there not be an exorcism this morning. <laughs> Please, God, they're never going to come back to church. Please, don't let it be. Lord, I want to follow your spirit, but not that far. Not this morning, you know? And I, and I just thought that it was going to be weird. And when I got older... It was even harder to share the gospel. I was at this church and man, we prayed. We got up at 6 a.m. We prayed. It's a church I met my husband at. And we prayed, all this, this group of young adults, and I'm telling you, we prayed for reformation. We prayed for revival. We prayed for an awakening to come to America. We prayed our guts out. We prayed for revival. But we didn't invite anybody to church. We couldn't figure out why revival wasn't coming. <laughs> And isn't this the reality of so many of our lives? Isn't it just the fact that we have forgotten one of the most foundational parts of our faith? Go and make disciples of all nations. Some of us are really you know, pretty faithful at being spiritual. We read our Bibles. We uh, pray. We honor the Sabbath. We come to live salted. And yet there's that one that we leave out every time. 
And that's the one that Jesus says, go and make disciples, practicing your faith, sharing the gospel, telling people about Jesus. And why are we struggling with this? Well, I believe it's fear, right? We're fearful of rejection. We're fearful of not being liked. We're fearful of awkward conversations. I don't want to tell my Muslim girlfriend about Jesus because that's just rude and insensitive. I want to tell her about that. Some of us, we're just scared. Like, what if somebody asks me a question about the Bible that I don't know? I don't want to share the gospel because I don't know. Listen, listen, Jesus has something inside of you. Some of us, we won't share the gospel because we're still trying to believe if we're trying to decide if we believe in the gospel. If we really believe in the gospel, this moment, this foundational part of our faith to go and make disciples. You know, we're not even allowed to share our faith at work. More than ever, there are external and internal forces trying to keep us in our comfort zones. And we're going to have to be radical. We're going to have to be a generation that says, I'm not just going to let the forces outside and inside keep me away from sharing the gospel with people. Today, I want to look closely at a scripture that just has really like rocked my world. I was telling some of my new friends about it last night. We're going to look at a passage, John chapter 4, and I'm going to, I'm going to share some of the story with you, and we're going to read the scripture, but um, I just want to tell you that this is a really beautiful scripture, and spoiler alert, okay, we're, I'm about to introduce you to one of the very first women evangelists that we see in the New Testament. And she rocked my world. She's about to rock your world today. And so we hear, we pick up, and Jesus is on his way from a city called Galilee, or to, from Judea to a city called Galilee. And he takes the long way around, and his disciples are like, bro, can we not take the long way around? You know, and so Jesus is like, we're going to take the long way around. And he stops in a place called Samaria. And literally, if you read the scripture, the disciples are like, we out. We're not, you're like, we're hungry. So they like go, truly, they leave. And Jesus approaches this well, it's called Jacob's well. And there is a woman that is there at Jacob's well. And she is getting water. She probably spends hours of her day getting water and bringing it back to her family or whatever that looks like. And she has to put this jar or whatever down, container down in this well. She has to hoist it up. It's very like manual labor, right? We're not very familiar with what it's like to not have running water. I'll never forget the time that I was, uh, I was working in Thailand, right on the, Burma, uh, on the Burmese and Thailand border. And I was up there, and I remember there's all these refugees, all these undocumented people. And they were up there, and they have all of these little bamboo huts all over. There's hundreds of thousands of people in this refugee camp. And I'll never forget being there. There's no running water. They're rationing food to all the refugees. And I, all of a sudden, I'm there, and I see these people running in one direction. I'm like, where are they going? So I start following them, and I see that one of these bamboo huts is on fire. And what happens is the wind blows, and all of a sudden, all of these huts just begin to, to catch on fire. So people are just running towards it, and people are also trying to get stuff out of their homes, right? And I'll never forget this. These people knew exactly what to do. There was no 911. There was no fire truck. There was nothing like that. What they did is they immediately lined up next to the river that was in this refugee camp. They lined up all the way over to this fire, and bucket by bucket by bucket, they put out this, this fire. And so this woman lives in this reality where there is not running water. 
And she's got to go every day, like many women at that time, to go draw water from this well. And so she's there, and Jesus looks at her, and he, and he says, will you give me a drink? And she's like, whoa. She responds to him, and she says, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. What, what are you doing? Why are you talking to me? Well, we have to understand contextually is that this woman, the Samaritans, were outcasts. They were half-breeds. They were part Jewish and part other things. And so Jewish people were told, don't, don't go near them. Don't touch them. They are half-breeds. They are outcasts. Don't even go near them. And all of a sudden, this woman is being approached by a man who says, will you give me a drink of water? And so sure enough, she's like, what in the world are you doing? And we have to understand that being a Samaritan at the time was being the lowest, lowest place in society. But she also said, I am a Samaritan woman. So if you're going to get any lower than a Samaritan, you would be a woman. Because all you would be is property. You would have no value. And so when she says, I'm a Samaritan woman, it's loaded with stuff. And so they have this interaction, and we're going to pick up actually at John chapter 4. She's shocked. She's a little bit annoyed. Like, can you leave me alone? I'm trying to get my water, bro. John chapter 4, 10 says this, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw this water. So Jesus says, this water is going to make you thirsty. I got a different water. And she's not really catching on, but she's like, give me whatever water it takes. So I'll have to come back to this stupid well every day. <laughs> she's like, I want it. Give it to me. And then Jesus responds with something that I looked at so deeply the last few months. He looks at her and he says, he doesn't say, okay, well, here it is. What he does, he looks at her and he says, go get your husband. And I imagine in this moment that she broke eye contact with Jesus. She put her head down. She said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yeah, I know you've had five husbands and the guy you're living with right now isn't your husband. And I stop in this moment and I think, Jesus, this woman just said, give me the water. What are you doing? Why are you asking her to go get her husband? Is he trying to embarrass her? Is he trying to shame her? Is he trying to condemn her? Why on earth would Jesus respond this way? And my whole life, whenever I've heard teaching on this scripture, I've heard that Jesus came to confront her about her sin. But listen, I believe that Jesus came because he cared so deeply about her thirst. She was thirsty in her heart for something more. 
And we have to understand that Jesus didn't say, if you drink this water, it's going to cleanse your sin. What did he say? He said, drink this water and you'll never thirst again. Number one today is this, people are spiritually thirsty. What we have to understand also contextually is that women in this culture had no authority. They had no say in anything. So this woman, you got to understand, quite possibly had five arranged marriages and five divorces, which she had nothing to do with. Right? We live in a world where, where we see something completely different when it comes to that. But she probably was kicked out of her house five different times. She probably was forced into a house five different times. That's actually the situation in in her life right now. And Jesus says, go get your husband. And I began to see that Jesus asked her this because he wanted to get into the deepest places of her heart. And he knew that small talk was not going to cut it with this woman. And so he says, go get your husband. Now, have you ever met somebody who's like a tough nut to crack? You know, it's like, you try to get to know them, but you can't get to know them. Like, uh, if you're nice to me, I will tell you everything. Okay? Like, I'm that person. I am an oversharer. There's a word for it. You know? But there are some people that are not like that. And in college, I started liking this boy in college. And he was one of those people that didn't really share very much. But we liked each other. And we were flirting. And we became friends. And one day he said, hey, do you want to be my girlfriend? Like, do you want to be, like, exclusive? And I said... I don't know anything about you. I, would lo- I actually liked him. I wanted to date him, but I was like, I wh- who are you? And so you realize like, oh, you know, I haven't really shared who I am. And so we sit down, he begins to share. And sure enough, my friend, he's still a friend of mine today. Uh, he was from one of the poorest nations in Africa. He was uh, born and it, both of his parents died of sickness. And he was on his own, and as a seven, eight, nine-year-old, he was starving. He didn't have a place to live. He was running. He just didn't even know what food would come, what meal would come the next day. He was completely on his own. And one day, as like a 10-year-old, he's walking in the city, and he sees these people that are singing songs and worshiping a man named Jesus. And so he goes in there, and these people, these missionaries who were there in Africa, they took him in, and they gave him shelter, and they gave him food, and he began to study and get some education. I'm starting to realize why this guy doesn't open up very easily. And so sure enough, this guy, then he goes back. He wants to meet his biological uncle. He goes back, and his uncle finds out that he gave his heart to Jesus and tried to kill him twice. He's a teenager. I'm like, wow. And this guy just opened up, but it took a while, right? So Jesus is saying, go get your husbands because he he wants to get to a place, into her heart, into a place of pain where he can truly begin to minister this living water. I told my husband, I met my husband years later. I dated this guy for like a second, by the way, in case you wanted to know. And um, we... I, uh, I, he actually wrote a book about his life and I'm dating my, my husband and I give him this book. I'm, babe, you gotta read this book. And he's like, did you just give me a book from your ex-boyfriend? I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. So Jesus says, Jesus talks to her about her five divorces. I mean, this is a woman that has been so wounded. She's a complete mess. But he wants to get to the painful, deepest parts of her heart. Because that's what he came there for. You know, though, Jesus walked the long way. 
to meet her. And we're going to find out here in just a minute, but it, it wasn't just about her. But the world was done with her, but Jesus wasn't. One even close to done with her. It's probably safe to say for this dejected, rejected woman that no one had ever taken time to truly sit down with her and ask her about her life and her story. I'm gonna say that again. There may have been nobody in her life that ever stopped and just sat down and said, would you tell me your story? What's happening in your life? There are people all around us who if we would just say, would you, would you tell me your story? I think we would be amazed by what would happen in those moments. There are people all around us that are spiritually thirsty. There are people all around us that want us to focus on their, uh, focus on their pain before focusing on their sin. And so we are looking at what Jesus wanted to do and what he really wanted to do. He really wanted to transform her life. You know, I, I think we have to be honest about something. Christianity in America has a branding problem. We don't have a very good reputation. We are known for what we're against and not what we're for. And this room oh, could make a huge impact in that situation. And so we, we got to realize that going on social media and shouting, oh my gosh, you voted for this person? Are you kidding me? I know the Bible. You're going to hell. Doing that and yelling on social media is not being a good witness of Jesus Christ. It's easy to check off the box. I was a witness on Facebook today. No, you weren't. I'm just going to tell you right now. No, you weren't. Rich Villadas has this great quote, it convicted me. He says, it really is a curious evangelism strategy to despise the people you are trying to bring to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus started with five divorces. Like, go and get your husband. We are called to care about people's spiritual thirst, ladies. We have got to care more about people's spiritual thirst than their politics. We have got to care more about people's spiritual thirst than our own self-preservation. We have got to care more about people's spiritual thirst than, than anything, than any fear, anything that wants to get in our way, than people who are different than us, who think different than us, who look different than us. We have got to care more about people's spiritual thirst because God said none shall perish. It's not old school to share the gospel. This is still the way he wants to do it. He hasn't changed his plan. He still wants to do it through us. I'm getting ahead of myself. So we've got to recognize the thirst that is around us. And so Jesus has this beautiful life-changing conversation with this woman, and he tells her everything that she's ever done. And he tells her in verse 26, and you can go back and read this, he actually tells her that he is the Messiah. Do you know that this woman... She was so precious to Jesus that she was one of the first people outside of the disciples who got to know his true identity. That was so special. This woman that had been rejected, that was a nobody, Jesus showed up to her and said, I, I am the Messiah. So we pick up in verse 28. 
Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who has told me everything I have ever, everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. One of the things that we've got to realize is that if God is going to ask us to go share the gospel, we're probably going to have to leave some things behind. She left the very thing that she went there for, water. She knew that it was going to get in her way. And if you know a woman who is in a hurry, right, ladies? Get out of the way. My husband is like, Aretha, you have short legs. You can't ever keep up. But when you are in charge and you got a place to go, nobody else can keep up. All of a sudden, you can walk fast. And so I believe that God wants us to leave our water jars. Where what are those? Well, I think there are comforts. There are reputations. You're going to have to leave behind your ideas and your ideologies. You're going to have to leave behind your family, maybe. You're going to have to leave behind some things, like this woman left her jar behind. I have heard, especially in this area, I know not all of you are from this area, but I've been here for about five years. And I hear that one of the, the biggest reasons people will not share the gospel, particularly in this area, the Seattle area, is because there's been so much church hurt, so much pain, so much spiritual manipulation and abuse. It's heavy. And if you're sitting here tonight, today, and you're one of those people, I just want to say you're not alone. In fact, I want to do something. If you're sitting here today and and you have church hurt, and you don't know what you think about the church anymore. You love Jesus, but you don't know what you think about the church. Can you raise your hand? You have church hurt? Everywhere. You're not alone. Now, how many of you that raised your hand are so glad that you gave Jesus another chance? And so we begin to say, well, Amrita, I can't share the gospel with this person because they're deconstructing, because their pastor hurt them, and, and I, I just... I just, I just can't do that. But listen, you got to leave your water jar. You know what this water jar is? This water jar is the fear of making it worse. Amrita, I don't want to share the gospel because I don't want to make it worse. What if they really don't like Jesus after they talk to me? People, young people all around are telling me this. I don't want to tell people about Jesus. Can I tell you today that we cannot leave these people behind? Can I tell you today that all it takes is for you to look at these people and say, hey, on behalf of the body of Christ, I'm sorry that happened to you. And just be humble. You don't have to answer. You don't have to heal. No, Jesus heals. Can I just tell you, I'm sorry that that happened to you. And I, I, it may take you a little while. It's okay. But Jesus loves you. He's got living water for you. And And I would encourage you at some point, whatever that looks like, to get in a community of believers. And so Jesus is asking us to leave something behind. What is the water jar that God is asking you to leave behind? Is it your job? Is it money? Is it instead of inviting your your close friends over, it's inviting the acquaintance over who takes a lot of work and you don't really want to hang out with them? They they drain me. Is that who you're supposed to? You're supposed to leave behind some of those excuses. When I got married, the first month of marriage, I quit my job. I don't recommend it. (laughs) I quit my job. I got this phone call from a friend who was working uh, in Southeast Asia, Cambodia, Thailand, Burma. 
And she said, Amritha, I'm working in uh, poor communities on the minefields of Cambodia. I want you to come work for me. And she said, and it stirred my heart. And she said, but I can't pay you at all. You have to raise your salary. So I go to my husband like normal newlyweds and I'm like, honey, can I go work on a minefield with no pay and no life insurance? My husband's like, who did I just marry? But we began to feel a stirring in our hearts. And we talked to my parents, we talked to our pastors and, and we felt like it was a yes and we, we had to leave behind some water jars. We had some financial goals going into marriage we had to leave behind. Do you know how excited we were for a dual income? It's awesome. But we weren't gonna have that for another few years. I had to leave behind my pride because it's hard to ask people to give money to your thing. I had to leave behind my dream of going to the beach for my first anniversary. For our first anniversary, we went to Saginaw, Michigan in a little hotel. We had to leave some water jars behind. But you know what? Actually, that year, God paid off my entire student loan debt. I still don't know how that happened. But when you follow Jesus, you leave behind your water jar, he will provide, he is the great provider. He will give you everything that you need. And God watched over us. Hebrews 12, one says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Jesus is asking us to leave behind our water jars. N.T. Wright is one of my favorite theologians and he says this about this scripture. God's claim is on every human life and God offers a new kind of life to all who give up their stagnant water and come to him with the living water. This offer is absolute and can't be avoided with conversations about church, denomination, or religion. Can I get an amen? amen? What is the jar? What is the water jar that God is asking you to leave behind? So the Samaritan woman, she goes, her first response is to go tell everybody what just happened. So we pick up and this next verse says this, she's, she's speaking, she says, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Number three, tell your story. Now, one thing that I think is true, you think it's just really simple to tell your story, but I think, I think this, not, not all of us are actually familiar with our stories. And so it's important that you become familiar with your story. Well, how do you do that? Well, therapy did it for me. <laughs> Okay, you need to get around some people who know you and have known you. You need to spend some time with the Lord. Who am I, Jesus? Because you need to be able to tell your story. This is how we are gonna reach people with the gospel. This woman walked back into the city that rejected her, that hated her, that spit on her, that let her go to the well every day by herself. She didn't get to go with the other women. She went back into that crowd and told them about Jesus. And we think it's hard, it is hard, but that was hard. 
And she goes back in there and she says, come and see. This guy told me everything I've ever done. He's staying two more days. You got to come. What if this is the Messiah? And so she, she tells them, you got to come. Now we have to ask this question. Why would this, these people, why would they listen to her now? She was a nobody. But why would they start listening to her now when she comes back and she's talking about Jesus? Well, a couple of things. I think one, we don't know this for sure, but I think one, she, you know, she just was transformed by the living God, okay? So she came with a little bit more fire in her, a little bit more confidence. But there's something else that she did. She name dropped. She said, could this be the Messiah? And she said it as a question. And I think that's really interesting because you have to understand the Samaritan people, they were also waiting for the Messiah. This wasn't just about her. This was about a whole people of rejects. God could be calling you to be ministering to a whole people. Sometimes it's one by one by one and sometimes it's a whole people. God told me to leave my water jar, leave everything where I lived before and come to Seattle. And I'm like, what? There's a whole people, there's a whole lot going on. And I'm not doing it by myself. There's people like Danielle and her husband who are here. But God has called us to leave behind something. And he says, go and tell your story. So one of the biggest things my husband and I do is we tell our story. We just say, this is what Jesus did in our lives. And he can do the same for you. Tell your story. The good news poured forth from her soul, not from religion, a church, a mountaintop, dogma or doctrine, a preacher, a priest, a program or a committee, but from the testimony that comes from the one who risked letting her life be changed by the living water of Jesus. You know, I still think, I still ponder, why did Jesus start with five divorces? You know what I think he did also? Because when we begin to recall our stories, we begin to recall the encounters of God, the Saturdays that we spent at Live Salted, the moments on our knees in our bedroom, when we begin to recall our life story and when Jesus encountered us and when he saved us and when he gave us the living water, we become fearless. What did she have to lose? I want to be like that. I have the Savior of the world in my heart. He's with us. The, the, the Word of God says that God never leaves us or forsakes us. What do we have to lose? Really think about it. What do you have to lose? Your reputation, your job, your money. I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be costly. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. All of Samaria, so many people got to go see Jesus in those two days. Oh, Lord, that I would be a woman that would go tell a group of people, and for the days following, they would get to meet you. Tell your story. To share the gospel, all you need are three stories. You need to listen to their story. You need to share your story and you need to point them to God's story. 
And I know I'm making it sound more simple, but it, it is. It's, it's, it's not that hard, and yet it is, right? I want to close with this story. My husband was a son of Hindu refugees from Sri Lanka, the nation of Sri Lanka, little tiny island south of India. I'm Indian. So his family was from there and they came over to America. This was like, like Sri Lanka is beautiful. The sun is shining. It's a beach. The whole thing is like a beach, okay? It's beautiful. And so they have a civil war in Sri Lanka. They come over to America on asylum and they move to Minnesota in the winter. <laughs> Talk about a wake-up call, these poor people. And they get to Minnesota and some housing fell through. And this was years ago and they weren't citizens and... You know, everything was a mess and they were very, 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 very hopeless. And one day, my husband's father said, I'm gonna take my wife and my daughter, my husband wasn't in the picture yet, we're gonna go to the bridge in Minneapolis and we're gonna jump off of it as a family. They were that hopeless. They had nothing, they had no friends. They didn't wanna live anymore. And so he's sitting in the Mall of America in Minnesota getting ready to go get his family. And a pastor's walking by, a man. He walks by and he says, he just stops. He felt the spirit of God just stop. And he looks at my father-in-law and he says, hey, are you okay? Tell me what's going on. Tell me your story. And so he begins to unpack the whole situation and tell the whole story. And this man, this preacher, he says, Listen, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Come live with me and my three children and my wife in the trailer home that we live in. Talk about giving up a water jar. Come live with us. And so they went. My husband was conceived in that trailer. <laughs> he, he likes that part of the story. He says, don't tell me how I know that part. I'm like, babe, can you just... And sure enough, as life went on, they got on their feet a little bit more, but the, the, the trauma of war really messed with them. There was so many mental and emotional health issues. Eventually, his parents were divorced. And my, my husband didn't really know Jesus. He is about 12, 13 years old, and he's now suicidal because his parents have divorced and he's put in the middle of it and everything's a disaster. And sure enough, this girl one day says, hey, Pradeepin, you want to come to church with me? And Pradeepin was like, the girl that asked me to church was pretty, and there were going to be more pretty girls there, so I went with her. <laughs> and he went there, and he started drumming on their praise team. He didn't know yet what he thought about Jesus, but he went and did all the things that they did. He led six people to Christ before he became a Christian. Because <laughs> he wanted it to be genuine. But he loved hanging out with this group of people. He always says, my, my, my Christianity was caught before it was taught. And then he gives his heart to Jesus and it was an encounter with the living water. And my husband went from wanting to die to wanting to live. He had an anger issue and immediately it was gone by the supernatural power of Jesus Christ. God touched his life so deeply and you know what he did? He went back to the Christians that were at his school and he 
in an angry, truly angry way. He said, wait a minute. You knew about this and you never told me? I was hopeless. I had nothing. My family doesn't have any friends. You knew about Jesus? You didn't tell me? And so my husband, he is a little bit crazy. He decides to go to school and he writes just gets, writes a letter talking about Jesus something, makes hundreds of copies of it, puts it all over the school, stands up on the cafeteria, talks about Jesus being crazy. He invites everybody to church. He's like, there's pretty girls at church. Come to church, whatever your reason, you know. But Jesus touched his life and it took a man walking in the Mall of America to stop and say, would you tell me your story? It took a young girl who said, Preef, you want to come to church with me? God had such a plan for his life. Could we see that of the people that are around us? God has such a plan for your life. So I encourage us today to recognize that people are spiritually thirsty. To recognize that in order to reach them, you're going to have to leave some things behind. And you're going to have to become familiar with your story. Share your story. Listen to their story. And point them to God's story. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, oh, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you. This Samaritan woman, she's rocking my world. I want to be like her. Lord Jesus, there are hearts in this room that are so tender. They're so willing. I believe that the women in this room are saying, not my will, but yours be done. And Lord, you're going to ask some of them to make some great sacrifices on behalf of your name. And so Lord, in this moment, I ask that you would stir and you would speak and you would move. Beautiful are the feet of those who go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Lord, we surrender our lives to you. We say, use us freely we receive and freely we give. Lord, use us. Use us to save a city. Use us to save a nation. All we're going to do is say, hey, are, you're thirsty. I, I want to tell you about some living waters. You would never thirst again. Oh, Jesus, give us the words in every encounter of someone that we talk to. Help us not to walk away from these people, but to walk toward them. Help us to point them to you, Jesus. We love you so much. We love you so much for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, wasn't that insane? I just, I don't know what, Amrita is just so gifted, it blows me away. And so I just pray that like she prayed that we can all be the women at the well, that we can all understand to a deeper, more fresh and renewed understanding that our lives have been touched and changed by Jesus. And our only reaction should be to turn around and tell people around us of the savior who knew our stories. So I just pray as you leave this podcast today, that you will just be hungry to ask people their stories and to share with them your story. Because we know of a story of a man named Jesus who can give us life and life to the full so that we will never have to ever 
thirst again. And so friends, go out, take this message, apply it to your life and go see if you can share your story sometime this week. We love you so much. Bye.